0: Hey, welcome to the the behind-the-screen podcast. Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Hit that subscribe button. Greg, we were talking about Niners, Eagles. We're going to be talking about it. I don't know if there's a bigger game in the league this year.
1: No, there may not be. I mean, of course, every week we say there's some big games, but, you know, this was the NFC Championship game last year, which never turned out to be what many hoped because of the injury to Brock Purdy. Um, And now we're back uh, in Philly for this game, Uh, and it's... I think it's a fascinating tactical game you know, and I know you and I think that way more than the, the, you know, the sense of, wow, it's just a big game. I think it's yeah. a fascinating tactical game.
0: Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get into that. And the Niners, they were on the Thanksgiving game. So their guys had some days off after that. I was able to call some of them. They are very aware. They know that if they don't win this game, their chance at the one seat is, is pretty much gone out the window. This yeah. I, they view this as a, a wildcard playoff game almost without elimination to some degree. And it's here's interesting a theory. to say that the
1: fact that they played on Thanksgiving is particularly interesting and maybe even more relevant because the Eagles defense played 92 snaps against the yeah. Buffalo bills on Sunday. And uh, you know, uh, Jordan Davis played 62 snaps. I don't think he's probably ever played 62 snaps in his life in a game. Jalen Carter played 76 snaps. We don't know, you know, as you and I talk on a Wednesday evening, you know, Fletcher Cox left with a groin injury. You normally groin injuries don't heal in a week. Um, Zach Cunningham left with a hamstring injury. Normally they don't heal in a week either. So not only did the Eagles have major guys like Davis and Carter play more snaps than they've ever played, but they also could be down some defensive players as
0: well that are particularly important. That's a great point. I had a. a, a friend and coaching years ago i guess people can figure out who this is if they want to really dive into it but i believe they had 101 snaps in a game and they played the thursday right after that ah. and the coach was lamenting that he'd left his starter. they didn't need to keep the starters in for all one it wasn't an overtime game and uh he was lamenting that later so at least some rest for the eagles but uh here's my theory greg brock purdy niners offense eagles defense That side of the ball I think if you – tell me what you think. I think if you took someone who knows football at a high level and let's say they awoke from a coma after a year and you just dropped them in and they, you put on the 49ers film and you told them that guy at quarterback right there, that, that was their mid-first-round quarterback that they drafted recently, my theory is that football person would believe you without batting an eye. I agree. I think we this whole idea of Purdy, and it, people evaluate him based on the understanding that they know he was a la, the last seventh round pick, the last pick, and they see him through that lens. And if you told someone he was a first round pick, they'd see him through that lens and we'd be talking about him as the MVP right now. Or someone else would. We yeah, would. And someone and else would be talking MVP to about him.
1: I think it leads to a fascinating conversation about quarterbacks because, you know, a little more macro but focused on Purdy. You know, most people, when they talk about quarterbacks and they like to talk about the wow factor with quarterbacks, what do they mostly talk about, Andy? They talk about the fact that guys can get out of the pocket and make plays off schedule, outside of structure, do those quote unquote special things that people view as special because they can see it. They can see, you know, a, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, a uh Josh Allen, a uh Lamar Jackson. I'm sure I'm missing a few others, but, you know, they can see those things and it looks really, really good because the average person can't do that. But I would argue that Purdy does two things at a really, really high level, which if you're just watching a game on Sundays on TV, you don't necessarily notice it in any really meaningful way. Number one, I think Purdy is an absolute master at what everybody calls processing. And there are so many times this year where the defense through late rotation has changed the coverage look pre-snap to post-snap. And Purdy picks that up in a heartbeat and don't forget we're talking about a half second second to pick that up that's not you and i sitting with a clicker and watching the play 10 times that's purdy having to recognize that in half a second or a second and what that means so people understand is that it may mean that his primary read initially based on the play call is no longer his primary read based on the late rotation of the coverage. And now there's another primary and he's able to recognize that as quickly as any quarterback in the league. The second thing he does at an incredibly high level is throw with anticipation. I don't know when you're watching tape, but when I watch tape, I often freeze it right when the quarterback separates his hands from the ball, because I know he's starting his throw And to see where the receivers are and the routes, because I want to see, okay, where's he throwing the ball now? And Purdy's anticipation, there's so many times, and the most recent example was the 28-yard touchdown he threw in the last game to to Brandon Ayuk, um, and I'm sure you've seen that tape, where he threw it well before Ayuk even began his break, and he put it right on his hands. I don't think people understand how truly special that is. To me, that's
0: wow. That's almost more wow than watching a guy run around. And that kind of trait negates the necessity of arm strength to a certain degree. And the arm strength is kind of one of those other traits that jump off the screen every once in a while. But though you're right, the running around, what what always has blown my mind, especially around draft time, we hear, you know, who's going to get the next Patrick Mahomes, who's the Josh. I've never, ever heard anyone say, who is the Tom Brady of this draft class? Correct. Tom Brady is the greatest by the widest of margins you could fathom, and no one ever talked about who, how do we go, who's the next Brady. And when they did, if they did say that, they basically meant in the Brock Purdy terms, hey, which sixth or seventh round pick is going to be a hidden gem superstar, which nobody knows that because the guy – would not have fallen that far if someone had any inkling that he might be a star. I'm just surprised that we don't discuss – Brady was so great, and no one ever stopped and actually discussed the details of what made him great. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, you know,
1: it's funny you say that because we've reached the point where so many people just, I think – flippantly throw out, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but they flippantly throw out that you can no longer be a great quarterback unless you can move around. And and, and someone like Purdy can move. He's certainly not yeah. at the level of Mahomes or Allen or Lamar Jackson, um, but he can move. But no one really talks about the subtleties the nuances the details the discipline, craft nature of the quarterback position and there's so many things obviously that go into that that someone like Brady or Drew Brees mastered and I'm sure people listening now are going to say I'm an old fogey and I'm a dinosaur because I'm not I'm not you know reacting to the to the new NFL game you know you know how that goes but you know how many times do we see when we watch as much tape as, as you and I do where we see in a sense routine throws that need to be made or routine reads that need to be made, not made because the quarterback is not, you know, it cannot do the, the, the nuance of the position, the subtlety of the position, the way it needs to be done. And therefore, you know, sometimes on third and seven, an eight yard pass is a great play and it's not a play you'll see a highlight of, but it's an important play in a game. And, yeah, yeah there's sometimes so five-yard much-
0: pass on third and seven is a great play. I mean, I have coaches tell right. me that they they feel, hey, we we throw it short of the sticks by design. We think we have a better chance of running in this, you know, this certain play call, this scenario, whatever it is. Yeah, there's no stat that will ever show balls that should be thrown but are not thrown. Correct. Direct, no, matter, no advanced metric will be able to do it, not consistently anyway, or balls that should be thrown at a certain time or precision that are not thrown at a certain time and precision. And, and to me, because those things can't be measured
1: by metrics, or certainly not metrics now, as you said, maybe they'll never be measured, maybe they will be, but that becomes subjective. I know when you watch tape, you have a sense in your mind, just like I have a sense in my mind, and my sense comes from people who are smarter than I teaching me the quarterback position, which I've now inculcated into my sense of watching quarterbacks. Like when I see a stat, you know, whatever, whatever website it is, and I see – you know, throws under pressure. Well, their their definition of pressure may not be my definition of pressure. So that doesn't right. necessarily mean a lot to me, you know, because when you're taught by guys who really know the position, who either played it or coached it at the highest level, you know, pressure is, you know, that's one of those things where I need to see those plays. I'm not relying yeah. on somebody telling me what, what
0: pressure is. No, I'm the same way. So I only use, if I am using data for that, I'll use QB hit and, of course, sack. And the only reason for that is because I figure, well, if they touch the what is a QB hit? I mean, that's up to debate as well. Right. But if they touch the QB, at least there's, you can assume the guy was somewhat close to us, the best we can do. Even that I don't always feel great about. Pressure is very subjective, though, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: pressure can also be then a function of, Timing and anticipation, because a lot of times guys who have great timing and anticipation can deliver the ball that fraction of a second and fractions matter in this league, a fraction of a second before, you know, sooner. And therefore they can negate the pressure, whereas guys who don't have that refined sense of timing and anticipation like a Brock Purdy, what happens is then the defenders get a step or two closer and all of a sudden the pressure is a factor. And, you know, so you have to watch the tape and have your own definition of what pressure is. But, you know, sometimes I think in the way that a lot of people talk about quarterbacks now, they lose sight of the fact that it's really a disciplined position because that's the way it's taught. You know, no, I've made I've said this many times before, and I'm not saying it to be sarcastic, but no coach rolls the ball out and says, let's run around
0: today and make plays. That's not how they practice. Of course not. Yeah, no, I, I like I like it when you say that, Greg. You say it all the time. I love it. Where, where would if I asked you where would you guess San Francisco ranks this season on play action pass attempts, just total number of them? Where would you guess? You know, for some reason, I bet they're
1: not as high as as you would think, given the fact that their their run game is is so important to what they do. But one thing I've noticed, and then you can tell me, I've noticed that they've done more drop-back passing with Purdy because I've taken note of that more, that they've done more drop-back passing. Um, And that's probably a function of the fact that Purdy's good at it because Kyle Shanahan wouldn't be asking him to do something if he didn't feel he was good at it. So
0: my guess is I don't think they'd be top five in the league in play-action passing. If we're going just total snaps, which is not the best way to do it, but total snaps, it's ballpark. They are 25th in play action attempts. This See, season. that's fascinating. And they have been creeping down that list every year since Shanahan got, they got there in 2017. I think they were fourth his first year. If yep. memory serves, yep. he could be wrong. And then they have declined down the list every single year. Now, part of it though, is it's, a, it's actually, they're not climbing down the list so much as the rest of the list is climbing up to them. They're still running play action as much as they did before, but, so many other teams are running it more now that they're not a big play action team well, relative to the other teams in the league, but every year they get a little less play action oriented. And this year they're all the way down to 25th. So, I mean, it's not even, we want to say it's not a, it's not, it's, it's not a non-factor, but that is not where their offense begins anymore.
1: No. And And the other thing, too, is I always like to look at the difference between shotgun play action and under center play action, which I tend to call conventional play action, because I think there is a distinct difference in what you can do uh, in, in both cases. And I personally feel that conventional play action with the quarterback under center puts much more pressure and places a greater burden on defenses for a number of reasons. And I remember... Um, watching the Rams back when they had uh, Gurley, okay? And, and that's when the, you know, their offense you know, was really humming with, with run action. And I remember doing so many pieces for the matchup show for so many different reasons, and, I, and I'll give you a few. Um, one is it takes so much longer for the quarterback and the running back you know, for the mesh point to occur. So second-level defenders have to wait and see, is this a run or is this a pass before they react one way or the, or the other? Um, the other thing is when it's outside zone, which the Rams were heavy outside zone back when they had Gurley and, um, and obviously Jared Goff, um, who's still running by the way, a ton of under center play action with the lions, but just getting back to, to what I'm talking about is when you go outside zone run action, the defensive lineman, and this is rarely ever talked about Andy, the defensive lineman's initial reaction is lateral, not vertical and that minimizes their pass rush because they take a step or two laterally to play the run action, which is outside zone. So it, it, it just helps with protection. Um, and we used to do pieces on the matchup show you know, showing that. And I'm just a, such a, a bigger believer in under center play action because shotgun play action to me does not have a huge, huge impact on second-level defenders. Now, can it? It can but I think that under center play action to me does more to a defense.
0: Yeah. No, I w- Yeah. I think that you make a great case for that. And especially in Kyle Shanahan's case, he, everything he does in his passing game, a lot of what he does, it, you know, it's a first and second down passing game. That's where the Niners are. The Niners is how they attack yeah. you on the early downs. He knows I'm going to make you have to play a certain run fit. And then we're going to pass accordingly. If you have to play a run fit, you're going to have to be where we expect you to be because we're deciding where the run gap is. We're going to decide right, right. it with our action. We're going to decide it with our motions. However, you're playing on our terms. We're going to put you there and then attack you over there. That's the essence of his offense. The shotgun, I mean, you still got run fits as a defense if, you, if you're if you facing shotgun, but it's not it's not the same. It's not the same structure and feel and flow, which I think is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and, and I love what you just said because I always feel that Shanahan – he's not so much personnel based as he is formation and motion based because in normal down and distance, they play a ton of 21 personnel. You know, they play Kyle check So it's 21 with a fullback. Uh, so that is kind of their foundation personnel package. So it's not as if he's constantly changing personnel, but what he's so good at is formations and motions out of 21. And I always feel that, The way he coaches is a process. In other words, he's not looking for just one great play. Wow, I'm going to hit you with this play. Now, every team does that once in a while, certainly. Um, And he does that, I'm sure, once in a while. But I feel like he builds the game through a process where, okay, we're going to show you this formation out of 21. We're going to show you this motion. And, yeah, we'd like to have a nice play out of it, but we want to see how you react defensively because you've been preparing for us all week. So now we want to see how you you react to specific personnel, uh, excuse me, specific formations and specific motions and then we, we bank that, and maybe when we get to the third quarter, we know how you've responded
0: to it, and now we can really attack you. Yeah, and what's such a fascinating wild card with those guys too is Juszczyk and Kittle are almost interchangeable. To yep. Kittle doesn't go in the backfield the same way, but Juszczyk plays on the wing so much more a now ton. than he used to, it feels like. And those guys have become almost interchangeable to some degree, and then the two that are obviously really interchangeable are McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. Yeah. So what you wonder about when you face the Niners, and, and this probably makes it hard on the Niners at times too. It, it's it's a certain uncertainty, if you will. But does the defense see McCaffrey and Samuel as one in the same or two different entities? How are they going to handle deciding what those guys are? And how do you handle as the Niners? Do, I would love to know because I bet it varies, varies by formation and situation. I would love to know when Kyle Shanahan sees McCaffrey and Samuel as completely interchangeable, where we don't care who's put them either way, I don't care, versus when one guy's the running back, one's the, you know, whatever it is. Their versatility out of that 21 personnel, though, is like nothing we've ever seen. No. And I think,
1: and you know this because you spent a lot of time studying it, I'm sure, is the thing that they do so much with that motion with check and Kittle interchangeably across the formation is they're looking to break down the integrity of your, of your gap fits, your gap integrity and your run fits. And that's all they need. They get an angle and, and all of a sudden, you know, McCaffrey is out the gate. And, you know, that's what they try to do. They just try to break down the integrity of, of your run fits and it's yeah. they are a tough defense to play a tough offense to play against and and defenses you know you can't get caught up playing them in, well if they do this we're going to do this and if they do this then we're going to do this and if they do this then we're going to do this but if they do this then we're going to do this defenses can't play that way you can't ask defensive guys to react to every single thing and have t- you know, fifteen different reactions because guys can't do
0: that. They can't play that way. And and that's how a defense becomes predictable. And that's what offenses yep. want when they're building their when they're building what they're building. Um, the the only guy we haven't mentioned on that offense, at least skill position wise, is Brandon Ayuk. Oh yeah. Is there, a, is there a more improved receiver over the last two to three years than Brandon Ayuk? Well,
1: it's funny. I I watched him coming out of ASU and I really liked his tape. He ran a ton of in-breaking routes and was phenomenal after the catch in college. And I thought, believe it or not, that he was a 49ers type receiver. And I remember watching that draft. I was at home watching that draft and they traded up to take him. And I thought to myself, that's a perfect receiver for the 49ers uh, because of what he did in college. but I think his his route running and his detail and his nuance as a route runner has improved dramatically over the yeah. last year or two. I think he now has a sense of how to attack corners of how to attack their leverage, how to get them off their spot, um, you know ha- how to create separation at the top of his of his stem. He's, a, he's become a really, really good receiver.
0: Yeah, and it's not just the the in breaking routes anymore. I and mean, he runs no. routes off of all that stuff. Yeah, he's become a really good player. I mean, Cody Swartz sent me something this here it is. This is heading into uh week this is last week, but Brandon Ayuk's three point three seven yards per route run is the second best mark of any wide receiver in the last fifteen years. And by the way, the guy with the first best is Tyreek Hill this year. So what 4.3. say that again? Say that again. Yeah, so i u yards per route run so they you take all the routes he runs and then factor in his passing yards oh so all yards. the
1: routes so not not just completions or anything all and, the routes and not right. just
0: targets either right, any, kind, right. got of it, got any it. kind of route yeah so what is got he doing it. on the field he's at 3.37 right. 3. yards per route which is second best of the last 15 years well, the fact definitely. that he's
1: averaging almost 20 yards per reception, which in today's NFL is crazy because a lot of these big time receivers, you know, they're averaging 11, 12 yards per per uh, catch, which, you know, the NFL has become kind of a shorter passing game for many teams. And the fact that um, he's as close to 20 yards per reception is really remarkable.
0: Really, especially in an offense, that's not a downfield attacking offense. They're not a vertical offense necessarily. No, they're, they're not. A catch offense. And he's great at it. He's absolutely great at it. Um, here's a, here's an, one more Niner thing I want to get a discussion going on. Debo, and I know you don't love these, Greg, but you're I'm, you're gonna have you have to answer. You have to answer. Debo Samuel or Debo Samuel in the Niners offense. All right, you're running that offense, or you're running the Eagles offense with AJ Brown. You get to play with one in that scenario. Which one do you want? Oh my God. Um, oh. That's a tough question. While you're thinking, I'll share this. And this actually surprised me. And this was a little while ago. This was was before AJ. It was AJ Brown. He's an Eagle last year, right? That was his first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: This is his second year.
0: Yeah. So this conversation is based on his Tennessee years because this happened going into the 2022 season. But I I spoke with a defensive coordinator and asked him that same thing. And he said it was an absolute no-brainer. Doesn't have to think about anything. It's Debo Samuel. Debo. I, I, see,
1: I was going to say Debo, uh, and but you know, but, but I'm was, but I'm in the but I'm in the Philly area, so
0: I was thinking about it. <laughs> well, has been such a good fit in how Philadelphia won. They've done a great job of playing and catering to him. This we talk talk in breaking routes. AJ Brown on slant routes. AJ Brown on go, and really the go routes are what he's done in Philly. That he didn't do at the highest of volume, not not this kind of high volume in Tennessee, but he's uh, that's a hard discussion. I was surprised that that coordinator was so one sided about it. Well, Actually, it's funny because
1: it. did you get a chance uh,
0: to watch Philly's offense this week? Not uh, remind me who they who do, who do I see him again? Buffalo. No, not yet. And i and right, well. honestly, I'll be, I'll be honest. I hope I don't have to. I'm not looking forward to watching five quarters of, of worth of snaps.
1: Well, I, I will. The reason I'm going to mention this is because, you know, when when you watch tape, there are certain things you you never know. OK, like I'm watching I'm watching Philly's offense and I'm seeing a 33 yard completion to to Devonte Smith in the third quarter. Then I'm seeing a 17 yard completion in overtime and it's the exact same play. And I'm looking at the coverage and what it looks like to me, because this, you know, I, I know coverage I to a good extent. It looks like they're playing quarters to the field, and it looks like they're playing two man to the boundary. And and mm-hmm. and AJ Brown was the boundary X because Rasul Douglas was basically playing press on on Brown. Okay, so I mm-hmm. thought okay, and 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 he let Brown run by him and undercut him because he had the safety over the top. So it kind of looked like two man, um, but I, I since found out uh, that from someone who knows that. They were actually, it was still all quarters, but when Brown was the boundary X and was lined up just on the numbers that they wanted Rasul Douglas, who's the boundary corner for the Bills, they wanted Rasul Douglas to play him straight up man with slight inside technique because they wanted to take away all those inbreakers that he's so good at. So it's still in their quarters, you know, concept. It's just they're playing it specifically when he lines up, you know. Uh, in a certain spot as the boundary X. Now there's no way I would know that. There's absolutely
0: no way I would know that watching tape. It looks like they're playing two man because that's the way it plays yeah. out. Interesting. And so I assume that would be if he's on the numbers or more likely, because uh, you rarely guys almost never line up actually on the numbers, by the way. It's like right. right, right. So out he's probably a step outside the numbers. A step outside, just on the, yeah. on the outside edge of the
1: numbers where he's going to run in breaking routes. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's really, I, I, by the way, I, when guys did line up literally on the numbers, I've always loved that when I'm doing advanced scouting reports because almost always there's a huge – something's up. You know, there's, there's always a huge tendency somewhere with an offense when they do that. I love that kind of coverage wrinkle. That six-man, by the way, I feel like I've seen it a little bit more lately than early And you know what I feel like I've seen? Tell me if you, if you feel this way. I feel like I've seen a little bit more six-man, just a little – and a little bit less of the special quarters or quarter special, however you want to say it, that we saw early in the year where you play yeah. quarters, but you're taking number one to the field. You said AJ Brown to the boundary, or so other side now, right, right, right. And you play iso man on him, and then I haven't played. seen as much of that over the last month. You know, early in the yeah. season
1: I did. I haven't seen much of it recently.
0: Yeah, it's kind of gone away. You know, the other thing, and, and not to veer off too much, but kind of keeping NFC West Niners. If you watched much Arizona Cardinals film this year? This will bridge the Niners and the Eagles a little bit. Um,
1: I've seen probably more of their defense, believe it or not, than their offense.
0: And I, that's perfectly fine. I've been asking about their defense here. I think they're playing quarters in a really innovative fashion, in a really innovative fashion. And then the way that more teams are going to do, I, I think they're playing what quarters is going to look like in one or two years from now with all those. Give me your, uh, tell on. me more
1: about what you're seeing.
0: Yeah. A post-safety 10 or 12 yards off the ball, so he's basically at quarters depth as well, and then flanked by two guys, five across. Sometimes those two guys next to the safety will be a little bit lower, but they're basically putting three guys in the middle of the field, both safeties and the slot corner, and then they move them in any direction after the snap, and they can get to almost any coverage from there, and quarters is a huge one that they often get to. I think blurring your safeties in your slot corner is where the quarter's coverage is eventually going to go because it makes it extremely difficult to dissect from the offensive well, standpoint. And it's interesting you say that because that leads
1: to a point that I, something I think I feel like I've noticed more and more, not necessarily specific to what you said, but now I'm going to kind of take note of it a little more um, uh, is I feel like I'm seeing so much more disguise in late rotation this year, a ton more. Uh, you know, I don't feel like I saw anywhere near as much as I'm seeing now as I did, you know, in, in recent years, I feel like there is a ton of late rotation and obviously we know why teams do that, but, uh, because they want to, you know, sort of slow down or speed up whatever, however you see it, the quarterback, um, You know, they want they want the quarterback to play faster, you know, mentally because he's not seeing it the right way. And when you're not seeing it the right way, everything about your body speeds up because, you know, you're limited with time. Um, But, yeah, I just feel that I'm seeing more and more. Do you feel the same
0: way? I do feel the same way. And I think a big part of it is we're seeing more split safety looks before the snap. I've been actually started tracking this last year and. This season, I believe it's about 35 snaps per defense. That's how many times they line up in split safety look before the snap. Last year was 33. The 10 years before that, it was in the high teens, low 20s. Yeah, it's a huge jump in split safety defense. It was kind of a Vic Fangio thing and everybody started running that scheme. So you get a little more of it. But now even the teams that don't run the Fangio scheme line up in split safety a lot. It makes all the sense. And I actually had a conversation with, Uh, An offensive coach six seven years ago, and I asked him why don't defenses do this every play? Because you can get to any coverage out of out of those splits, especially if it's quarters depth where the safeties are twelve yards off the ball. You can get to anything by the time you need to be there on almost every single snap. Why wouldn't you line up that way every time? And more defenses are starting to do that. No, I agree, and. And it, it kind of
1: muddies the picture for a quarterback because the bottom line is, is not only can you get to anything, but let's say you have your safeties at quarters depth, but one safety is two yards in front of the other safety. Just, you know, for the sake yeah. of discussion, you know, at that point as a quarterback, you don't know, is it going to be a split safety coverage with middle open is, is someone going to drop down is it going to become single high with middle closed now all of a sudden you have to do a lot of confirmation and validation after you take the snap and you know that just speeds up your process because you know you only have a certain amount of time and if you don't feel like you have a clear picture
0: as you're dropping back that changes everything about quarterback play absolutely and that's why a lot of times quarterbacks you know they read the safeties first after the snap but a lot of their pre-snap reads anymore they pertain to the nickel the nickel gives away a lot of information based on his leverage to the slot or he can and then the linebackers I've found and kind of studying how teams line up linebackers do not disguise as well part of I'm sure that run fit thing is a big factor with it so right. I would imagine any more quarterbacks are reading the second level of the defense it's called the slot part of the second level in this discussion They're reading that before the snap more than they used to. They they would almost have to with the way the safeties line up now. Yeah, but
1: I still think you have to – I mean, you have to have a sense of safety distribution because, you know, otherwise with a lot of routes, um, you know, whether the middle's open or it's middle
0: closed is a big deal. I mean, you otherwise you're going to get stuck. And I would say that that, I think every QB is coached to look to that – middle of the field, the second the ball snap, that's still where your eyes are going initially. Right. Yeah. But do you, do you think that it's vital? Are you saying you believe it's vital pre-snap as well? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. I, again,
1: I, yeah, I'd like to talk to some offensive coaches and see what they think, but I do think that you have to, you have to have a sense of safety distribution before the snap of the ball. Now it can change obviously, but it doesn't always change. I mean, you know, I'm thinking back, let's say, to, uh, you know, I watched. did you happen to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers offense uh, th- this week? Yeah, Cincinnati game, yeah. Yeah, um, and obviously they came out the first play of the game. They were more aggressive. They worked between the numbers, between the hashes, which we had not seen prior. Um, the first play of the game, they threw a seam to Pat Friermuth. Um, you know, and I think, you know, you have to be able to see, and actually on that first play of the game, I thought they did a pretty good job, Cincinnati, of, of, not showing exactly what it was because the safeties were, it looked split, but they were not at the same level. And the corners were all pressed on the three wide receivers. So, you know, at that point, Kenny Pickett is not necessarily getting a defined picture. It could be man. It could be, zone, you know, you don't know. But then as soon as the ball is snapped, the safeties split. And if he's looking right down the middle, he saw Logan Wilson. Yeah. Who's the Mike, open up to the trip side, the passing strength and then he knew immediately it was cover two. But I, I still think you have to have a sense of the safeties as you take the snap of the ball.
0: Yeah, the sense I got watching that play specifically, I wrote in my notes, I, I bet you Pittsburgh came in extremely confident because they lined up both. They were spread two by two in that. Both number ones were outside. Yeah, and they the ran four eight. verts on the first play of the game. And, and really, they ran them just to run the seam routes. So those wide receivers released outside. So they're not even releasing to win necessarily. They're right. just releasing to widen the zones and the defense. No, they expected split
1: safety coverage because, I I mean, I, I personally believe, again, we're not in the meeting rooms,
0: but I believe that the, they wanted the ball to go to Friermuth. A hundred percent. That's why they put him opposite the passing strength. They know the mic will open to the passing right, strength. Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah. my sense was they, they were 90% certain when they put the play in that Cincinnati would go cover two in that scenario against that formation. That was. I would they, agree. And it was, it was the first play of the game.
1: Yeah. And then actually yeah. they hit
0: Fryermuth on another seam
1: route on third and 13 on their second possession. And that was another case where, you know, that one was, a, you know, the safeties again showed quarters depth. But then um, as soon as the this, this ball was snapped, the safety to the uh, boundary side expanded with depth. And th- basically that's all Pickett needed to know. And he was able to hit Fryermuth kind of on the seam bender because that was a
0: big void. Yeah, on the boundary side, the seam bender. On yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Safety expands over the top. It's cover two. You bend the route inside. You're saying, and that's right. Because I don't think that was cover. It was cover two to that side, but it created a big void, and then he
1: knew he could hit Friermuth. You know, so instead of a straight seam, he kind of bends the seam a little into the void.
0: Yeah, oh, that's and that's how I I know a lot of those seam routes are taught. It's based seam routes. There's two versions. There's the version if the post has a safety in it, it's post safety or the right. free safety, and then the version if there's two safeties over the top. And basically, you just run your route, drifting it away from whatever the nearest safety to you would be. Yeah. How do we get on Cincinnati Pittsburgh? We were trying to do, well, look, at, look at how. But we're talking about split safety, so you know, the, the, the the picket <laughs> place popped into my head. Yeah. Um, other side of the ball than the Eagles, Niners, Eagles offense, Niners defense. By the way, did you answer the is the Samuel A.J. Brown one, or did you wiggle out of that? Uh, I semi-wiggled, and you said that you spoke to someone who said
1: Samuel, and I said I was I would have leaned toward that, but I, that I live, you know, that I live in the South Jersey area, so I, you know, I I, I kind of had to hold back on that.
0: So, all right, oh, well, <laughs> but I think Samuel. I would say you Samuel. Say Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other side of the ball. Eagles pass rush Niners pass rush kind of so Eagles are a little more of a straight rush you're not going to stunt quite as much you're not going to stunt nearly as much as the Niners in fact let's talk those two pass rushes which one yeah the Eagles have stunted
1: a little more this year than they did under Jonathan Gannon and I think they stunted more early in the season I don't think they stunt as much now as they did early when I noticed it immediately in the early weeks of the season wow they're stunting but I think they've not quite as much, whereas with the Niners, I think it's, it's really a significant part, particularly on third down when they line up in those loaded fronts with three defensive linemen to one side of the offensive center. And they often have Fred Warner mugged up on as a three technique opposite the load. And very often they use Bosa when he's the defensive end on the load side and those long stunts into the A-gap. Um, those are really difficult you know, to deal with for an offensive line.
0: Extremely difficult to deal with because you're, the center's blocking someone who's two bodies away from him that he might not even right. be able to physically see for most of the play. Yeah, there's a lot of I wonder how much I'd love to know Steve Wilkes, even D'Amico Ryans would be obviously be able to answer this. Fred Warner does stuff for 33rd Team every week. We could ask him himself. Maybe he'll know the answer. Yeah, my my know, guess is he would know the answer. My, and my guess is he might not tell us because I, I had our producer send a few questions to him and it came back like, Declines comment, basically. And right, I, right, right. I asked. You know what I asked him? I, I can tell you because he declined comment. I wanted to know if they were going to play the 5-1 fronts that they played just a tiny bit in recent weeks. They went five defensive linemen, one is pay, a penny front, if you will. I and know. I I, yeah, they've done that a few them. times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he said, you're not going to tell us. But um, no, of course not. His ability to drop back into zone coverage and understand oh. what's behind him and how he angles his drops to take away – the, he takes away multiple routes a lot of the time. He's the best that does it right now. I wonder how much that aids how uh, how they line up in those five down fronts. Like if they didn't have Fred Warner who could do that, how much would we see the loaded fronts?
1: Now you could be right because his ability to come from the line of scrimmage when he's mugged up like that to get the kind of depth he does, and plus the recognition factor. He always angles it exactly right based on the routes. Um that's really, really impressive. Um, but the reason they, they put him up on the ball like that is because they want that, that guard, that backside guard away from the load, not to immediately slide to the load side, and then he'd be in position to handle Bosa's long stun into the A-gap. So now Warner either will, will be part of the pressure, and often they'll have a, a, a TE blitz on that side as well with Warner, the, pe- the penetrator, and the other D-end the, uh, the looper or Warner just shows enough pressure for a step or two where the guard has to, you know, account for him, but he is so good coming from the line of scrimmage, recognizing routes. I mean, I remember in the playoff game last year against Dallas, he came from the line of scrimmage and basically ran the vertical seam with CD lamb.
0: Yeah. And, 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 I think that's when Prescott, it was in the red zone and Prescott threw it anyway, if I recall
1: yeah, well, I mean, where, where Warner was initially, there's no way that that Dak Prescott even thought for a moment yeah. that he he could do that. And plus, there was a blitz on the front side of Prescott that was um, not picked up. No one accounted for the pressure, so Prescott couldn't wait to to read it through and see you know make another throw.
0: Um, I, Sean Lee has become a buddy of mine, and he is as good at talking football as anyone I know. We're talking the former Cowboys linebacker, right? Sure. Um, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and he made the point we were talking about handling angle routes as a linebacker running back comes out of the backfield one cut how do you defend that and his point he he always liked to be up near the defense he didn't want to be playing from depth on that he wanted to be up tight because he felt like he could limit the backs two-way go a little bit so he 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 wanted to hug up a little more than playing off yeah because if he, if he plays off, that he's got to defend the back in total space. And, and yeah. so he wanted to be – I wonder if there's a little bit – and this is truly just me one – I've never thought until we start talking here. So it's, I might look back in a week and be embarrassed I'm even asking out loud. I wonder if there's a little bit of that same effect with some of those zone coverage drops, though, where Fred Warner, by coming up from the line and dropping back – almost he's kind of dropping it the same way the receivers are running it at that point – as opposed to coming from space opposite the receivers, I wonder if it's easier for him to sense and feel the routes by dropping back off the line rather than coming down. Were you asking me to answer that question? I I have no
1: idea how Fred Warner feels about that. (laughs) Yeah. I would. All I know is that he is really good when he hunts up routes, and he's also really good when he's just a pure zone dropper at recognizing routes based on splits. You know he's yeah. really good
0: at both. One thing Philadelphia did well in that championship game, watching some of those plays. But by the way, do you know the Niners kept the Eagles under ten yards on almost every snap? They played twenty eight snaps at cover three. Philadelphia's longest gain on the on those snaps was twelve yards on a scramble that Hurts broke tackles on. It really should have been a two or three yard scramble. Right, right, the, right. The I did Lions not know that. Three. Yeah, I didn't know until I went back and started looking at some of that stuff this week. San Francisco's cover three, 4.0 yards per play allowed, nothing over 10 yards. Philadelphia in that game, and it it didn't obviously turn into huge yards for various reasons, but they had some really clever designs to exploit. The Niners are so good, as you know, Greg, at finding over routes. So if you're in cover three and they're saying a deep crossing route to your side of the field, You've got to hunt that up as the backside linebacker. most. Oh, without question. yeah, The Eagles did a really good job schematically. They didn't execute it as well, but the ideas behind it of drawing plays with the understanding that Greenlaw and Warner are going to hunt those up. Now let's go draw something that punishes them for doing it that way, for doing it correctly. They had some really good route combinations to attack that. I wonder if that's something we'll see in this game this week.
1: Uh, we could, uh, we could for sure. Um, one of the other things I remember about that championship game is I thought the Eagles had a lot of success running to the boundary um, and they had some success where they went four strong to the field and then ran to the boundary because the defense, you know, shifts to the four strong to the field. Cause they have to, but otherwise yeah. if you're playing zone, you, you can't deal with it unless you, you bump over. So, um, you know, I think that's something they'll try to do again. Um and in fact, the Eagles had a, a a great run this past week where they lined up in four strong. They knew Buffalo, and you didn't see the tape, but they know Buffalo foundationally is what we call an over front. So they the, the line is shifted to the strong side of the offensive formation, the defensive line that is, and they were able to run successfully to the boundary to the weak side. Uh, okay, you
0: know, get get really clean leverage blocking angles. Yeah, the. Uh... Yeah, so the Buffalo almost always the three tech will line up on the same side as the tight end, and and that's yep. how they play. Yeah, they're an yeah. over front. Yeah, right. Yeah, all right. Last topic before we get out of here. If I asked you, let's see if I can get you to answer this one. Greg living in South Philly or South Jersey? Is it South Jersey? Philly, South area? Jersey. Yeah. South Jersey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who's the best cornerback in this game? The best corner in the Eagles uh, in the Eagles Niners game. Wow.
1: That A year or two ago, that would have been easy. Yep. I don't think the Eagles' corners have played particularly well this year. Um, Bradbury's really struggled. In fact, the Eagles have made changes in the last couple of weeks because of Bradbury. Um, two weeks ago, they had uh, Slay, Darius Slay, play boundary corner on every snap, and Bradbury played field corner. This week, they had Slay line up on the side of Diggs, Uh, pretty much every snap. Now, he didn't match a man-to-man all the time because Diggs would line up in the slot or sometimes they would motion Diggs across the formation to Bradbury's side, but they've clearly made a change. I don't think Bradbury's played particularly well. I don't think Slay, for the most part, has played particularly well. If I had to pick one corner uh, in this game that I think has probably played the best this season, I'd probably say it's Ward for the 49ers.
0: Yeah, I would, too. I'd say that without having to give it much thought. And I just watched yeah. the Niners Seahawks film last night. Where he Ward was phenomenal goes, in that game. I mean, Brooklyn, and he, whenever he matched up game. against
1: Metcalf, who's three times his size, he was phenomenal.
0: Ward was really good in Kansas City, too. I was he, to me, he's I thought so, too. Immensely. And a lot of those Chiefs corners, like you know how I feel about LeJarrius Sneed. McDuffie maybe a little less. So a lot of those Chiefs corners, though. Are always to be perennially underrated. And Ward hit free agency and he got a good contract, but he's—I think he's a top ten corner without much. He's, to he's a really good player, and and
1: there are, and he normally lines up at left corner. Every once in a while, they will use him as a match corner, but he normally lines up at left corner. Um, and and what yeah, I think he's—if you're picking
0: the best corner in this game, I'd say it's yeah. Ward. You think they match them in this one? Because when they do match them, it tends to be if there's one bigger, stronger receiver. I clear, like Metcalf and Lockett are the perfect example. Everybody matches to those guys because Metcalf is so much one type of well, receiver. Well, the Eagles are
1: similar. I mean, you know, Smith is a – I think he's a terrific receiver, but he's 165 pounds, whereas Brown is the big physical, outstanding run-after-catch guy. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. Um You know, the Niners don't do it a lot. They do it on occasion, but it's not something, you know, that they do as a a matter of course.
0: We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Ward is so special outside the numbers, too. And you wonder a little bit if the Eagles, with Brown running as many in-breaking routes as he does, although we said he'll get you on go balls as well. Smith and Brown are both pretty good vertical weapons. I would wonder if they might just keep Ward there and have him be, leave him be and. They might tilt our coverage if we need to,
1: yeah. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting because I think the Eagles' pass game versus Niners' pass defense is a fascinating matchup in this game, particularly if the Niners are a nickel because I think their front six, I think you can easily make the argument their front six is the best front six in football.
0: Yeah, I would say there's – I mean, I don't know who would even be – who would be close on that with the linebackers put such separation in that discussion. I, I can't think off the top of my I head. I mean, you have Bosa even... and Young on the outside and Armstead
1: and Hargrave inside, and then you've got Warner and Greenlaw. And, yeah. you know, normally when you watch, when you watch a defense and they look really fast, which the Niners do normally it's because of the linebackers.
0: Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right Greg well you won't you won't completely tell me if you think it's Samuel or Brown you did no, give it's me it's one Samuel, that' it's Samuel what's the score of the game you' gonna do it oh no you're not asking me that no I'm we're not, not doing that. that I couldn't live with myself I'm just kidding yeah yeah we're not, right. we're not doing that yeah appreciate you guys listening hit that subscribe button this is behind the screen podcast Andy Benoit my friend Greg Cosell.